Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. In a world where disruptions have caused a global reset, many of us have gone through periods of reappraisal. Some by forced changes, like losing a job, others by choice. And some are doing it quietly, thinking about pivoting, but haven't yet. As so many people are asking, what's next and how do I get there? I'm excited for you to hear this episode full of answers. I sat down with best-selling author and veteran journalist Joanne Lippman to discuss her latest book, Next, and the power of reinvention. We delve into the trend of doing it quietly, the challenges it presents, and how businesses and individuals can assess when it's time to reinvent themselves. We also explore effective ways that leaders can help the business transition to serve their customers and employees better. There are concrete steps needed to start the reinvention process in an ever-changing landscape of careers and personal growth. Please share this episode with others who can benefit and subscribe to Doing CX Right podcasts on your favorite channels. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Joanne Lippman. Welcome to the Doing CX Right show. Thanks, Stacey. Great to be here. Oh, I am excited for this episode for so many reasons, especially at the time of life that we're all figuring things out and reinventing individually and businesses. So the audience is in for a treat. But before we go deep on that, can you share who are you? What do you do professionally? Sure, sure. My name's Joanne Lippman, and I am a longtime veteran journalist. I spent more than 20 years at the Wall Street Journal, starting as an intern and a reporter and ending up as the uh, deputy managing editor and the editor-in-chief and founder of Weekend Journal and Personal Journal. And then I went on and um, founded and was editor-in-chief of Condé Nast Portfolio Business Magazine. And then most recently was at Gannett as the editor-in-chief of USA Today and the chief content officer overseeing Gannett's 100-plus newspapers and 3,000 journalists. And now I'm writing books, uh, including That's What She Said about Closing the Gender Gap, and my new book, which is called Next, The Power of Reinvention in Life and Work. Hmm. Why your passion around these topics and content? And tell me more. Well, I've had this passion for journalism literally since I was seven years old and discovered a book called Harriet the Spy, which if you're not familiar with it, it's a wonderful kid's book about um, a little girl who uh, spies on her family and friends and writes down everything in a notebook. And uh, I thought I wanted to be her. So I, for like five years, I walked around as a little kid with a notebook recording family and friends and probably listening to conversations I shouldn't have. But in any case, uh, it really gave me the bug that it made me realize that there actually is a profession where you are reporting on people and it was journalism. And so I, I, I latched onto journalism at a really young age. And it was always so exciting to me because I had the curiosity. I loved to write and, um, and I loved being able to sort of ask people questions. I was actually a very shy kid, but I really enjoyed 
asking people questions and having them talk about themselves and and just learning more information that way and sharing it. So it's been a, a lifelong passion, I guess you would say. It's funny, as you describe that, it makes me think about the joy I'm getting from podcasting and talking to people and learning and giving them a voice in a platform. Absolutely. I think it's a very, very similar skill and you're, you're doing something that's helping people. Yeah. Yeah. What's a fun fact that people may not know about you? Uh, so um, as a kid, in addition to um, all of my writing activities, um, I was a very, very serious viola player. And I even studied when I went to college all the way through and uh, don't really play anymore. But um, my very first book that I wrote, it's called Strings Attached, which I co-wrote with a childhood friend who was a violinist with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And it was about, it was basically a love letter to music teachers. Oh, that is so creative. That could be another episode. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into the heart of the topic today which is reinvention. Your new book's coming out next and you speak a lot about reinventing in work and life. What does that even mean? What is reinvention to you? So that is such a great question because what I what the impetus behind next, the power of reinvention in life and work actually started with the pandemic because so many of us, so, so everybody's life changed with the pandemic. I mean, when you're talking about your first responders and people in healthcare, they had, you know, suddenly like these major issues where they are in the forefront and their lives are in danger. For many of the rest of us, our lives came to a standstill. And, um, you know, people who had knowledge working jobs were suddenly at home. Uh, everybody's life changed. And it occurred to me that every, you know, it's, it was like the, the world came off its axis, you know, and we had to figure out where are we going to go from here? Like we know there's going to be an after and we have to figure out what this new normal will be. And so we had an, a, a time where the entire world together was going through this. And it got me thinking about the process of how do we go through this? And it occurred to me that an interesting way to try and figure this out for me, as well as, you know, for the rest of the world, was to understand how people have done this in the past and how organizations have done this in the past and what is the process and the mechanism of change. And so what I ended up doing was finding remarkable stories of people who have gone through these major life transitions or business transitions across multiple kinds of categories that might seem unrelated, like people who have lost their jobs or failed and need to reinvent themselves, people who just want to change their careers, people who have been through trauma, right? And need to kind of figure out how do you move on? You know, people who have failed at something and even people who uh, had just these aha moments where it just changed their lives. And I was really curious about the process and I found amazing stories of different people and individuals who have gone through this. And then I also talked to the academics. There's a lot of new research into the process of change that's being done right now by neuroscientists, psychologists, management theorists. And so I spoke to them as well to understand how does this process work and how is that going to help the rest of us to figure out our next chapter? Would you say the processing is different if you choose the change versus it's chosen for you? I 
You know, what's interesting is the process is similar. So what next, the book, is looking at is how to change your life, your career, or your workplace. And what's interesting and fascinating as I talk, as I looked across the board at these different kinds of really significant transitions, there was a similar set of steps. And the process itself, if you talk to different specialists and different academics, they use different terminology, but the process they are describing is virtually the same. And it's it's pretty much a three-step mm-hmm. process which I can kind of walk you through, but it was fascinating to me that that's the way it works. Yeah, can you share the highlights? Absolutely. What I found across the board is that virtually, first of all, we have this we have this sort of thing in our in in the culture that we think that these big transitions have to happen like overnight, right? With, there's the the myth that goes everywhere from, you know, Cinderella when we were kids to Spider-Man when we're adolescents to American Idol when we're grownups. Like it's this sort of instant overnight transformation. And and that's a really damaging myth (laughs) because what I found is that the first step in transformation is virtually always something that is almost unintentional, that almost everybody I spoke to, they, they, I call it the search, the first step, the search. The search is something that even unwittingly, you are collecting information. It could be, if you're, for example, as a career changer, it might be something that you're, it's a hobby or a side hustle or even just some sort of random interest. And you're collecting information as you go without even knowing what you're collecting that information for. And so that's the search. And then you move into this, what I call the struggle phase, which is very often when people have left their life behind what their, their old life or they're dissatisfied and they know they want to move on, but they haven't figured out where they're going yet. Um, and then sometimes that, that um, step, that middle step, that struggle will end with what I would call a stop, which is it could be um, when you, you lose your job, like something sudden happens. For some people, it was they had a sudden illness or they, they lost someone important in their lives. Um, but only can, when you get through that middle part, you get to the solution, the third part, the solution. And what's so interesting is that we focus on the first and the last part, generally, in the stories we tell. But all the important work gets done in that middle period, in that period where of, of struggle, where it may feel like you're standing still and it may feel like you don't know where you're going. But actually, subconsciously, that actually, this is where the work is getting done. You're actually moving forward when you think you're standing still. Wow. So the middle part, the struggle, would you say it's correlated to the grieving process? You know, it's, it is related to the process of separating from what came before. So for example, um, people who change careers, there's a wonderful academic named Herminia Ibarra, and she, she calls this middle period the liminal period, right? It's you're sort of lost, um, and uh, but it, but if you're in um, people who have these great aha moments, if you talk to creativity researchers, they talk about this middle period as incubation. Incubation is when maybe you're struggling with a problem and you can't figure out like where am I going to go next? What should be my career? Or or any kind of problem that you're struggling with, you're banging your head against the wall, and and then you go for a walk 
or you take a shower or you're sleeping and in the middle of the night, boom, comes this amazing idea. And um, that period of time where you're, you have to leave the problem alone and it, it's called incubation, right? It's where you have to turn off your conscious process of focusing and let your subconscious do the work of like mm-hmm. putting these disparate ideas together while you're not fo- consciously paying attention to it. So, so it is you're, you've left the before times and that struggle is you haven't quite gotten to where you're going to. But the beauty of this, what I call the struggle, the beauty of this is that you are, you are moving ahead. You think you're not. And we all have this tendency to say, you know, I've lost my job or I'm happy with my job or, you know, this terrible thing has happened in my life and I'm stuck and everybody else around me is moving forward. But the fact is that you're not mm. stuck. It, it feels that way. It's not comfortable, right? It's not super fun, <laughs> but, um, but it, it takes time. And what I found, Stacy, also is that even people who sort of have like a, a goal that they want to get to, go through this process, this very slow kind of middle process. Even people who seem like an overnight success. I talked to a woman who was a trial lawyer hmm. who is now a TikTok star. She became a TikTok star uh, known as the Korean vegan under where she cooks vegan uh, recipes. And, um, and this happened during COVID where she just for fun, just to let off steam, starts posting these videos and she's now actually left the law and the, the Korean vegan is actually an entirely new business for her. And she said, I never dreamed that's where I was going. But she said it was these very incremental little steps over the course of like five years that led me to it. And I heard a lot of stories like this. I talked to James Patterson, the mm-hmm. novelist, biggest selling author of our time. And, you know, he spent years, decades at, at an advertising agency. He was an advertising executive. In fact, I first met him when I was a young reporter in my 20s. And he was at, a, he was at J. Walter Thompson, the ad agency. And he was a struggling writer on the side. And he did not leave the ad business till he was almost 50 years old. And in that time, continuously, all those years, was writing books on the side, trying to find his voice. So even these people who we look at as these massive successes or even overnight successes, it generally, it starts like in that search process. It starts almost before they realize where they are going. I find this very encouraging, Stacey, because it means that even when you feel like you're, you're treading water, there's, there's something happening there, right? You are moving forward when you feel like you're standing still. What comes up for me from these stories is the basis of out of bad comes good. Right. Well, so what you're putting your finger on is, you know, out of bad does not always come good. Uh, but what you are putting your finger on is that we need to normalize this period of of struggle where we kind of feel like, oh my gosh, I lost my job, or I need to. I'm unhappy with my job, and I'm looking for a new career. We need to normalize that this is a normal feeling because when it happens to us, we tend to think it's only us. And that um, everybody else has figured this out but us. But in fact, during that period of time, first of all, it's normal for everybody. And secondly, there's a lot of work, internal work, subconscious work that's being done 
at that moment. And that's what's going to lead us to whatever comes next for us. And I find that really encouraging. Absolutely. So we're talking here about individuals. Um, I'm going to shift to companies in a second. But in terms mm-hmm. of the individuals, you know, there's so much... I hate these terms so much. The quiet quitting, the yeah. quiet hiring. Like, okay, it's not so quiet anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and is it really saying, the world saying in a quiet way that they are transforming and reinventing without really understanding that's what they're doing or they're stuck? I mean, maybe it's the paradox. Yeah, we're in the midst of reinvention. And I do feel like we're in the period of struggle right now as as companies are trying to figure this out, individuals are trying to figure this out. Like what should the normal course of a workday look like? What should a work week look like? How satisfied am I with my job? How can there be more meaning with my job? And I think for managers... Um, the big challenge is how do I keep my people motivated? How do I keep them from yeah. you know how do what what about retention? And I, one of the one of the issues that I address in the book and next is what do we do to keep our employees from jumping ship and being dissatisfied? Right? What are things that we can do? And there there were a number of things that that I found that organizations can do to help to encourage retention to help to encourage creativity and innovation um, so that so that the organization is constantly refreshing itself and also that people don't feel the need to leave. And I think that that um, is a, was a real aha moment for me coming out of the, the research in the book. Yeah. Why do you think people are struggling, even businesses, they need to reinvent the artificial intelligent robots, they're here. So doing work the way we all used to is not going to continue to be successful. Why the resistance? Why is it so hard? You know, it's so hard to leave behind what we are accustomed to and to move to something new. And that is why that middle period of struggle is so important, At but we all go through it. And so... I, you know, the, the, it's human nature to hang on to what we had before. And it's very hard. There's not a lot of clarity to see where we are going to. W- one of the most interesting things I found when I talked to people or even to, with organizations that had sort of these major reinventions, um, and when you talk to them, they will tell you, like, where I ended up is not necessarily where I thought I was going to end up. That to me was really interesting. It's so important to keep an open mind mm-hmm. and to understand that this process, it, our, our tendency is two things. Our tendency is we have to focus, 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 focus and get to the goal. And secondly, we have been told for a hundred years, you know, from the days of Think and Grow Rich, this perennial bestseller, right? Tells you, you have to know your goal, you set your goal, yeah. and then you have your plan to get to your goal. Let me tell you something. When I interviewed all these people at these major transitions, almost all of them said, I didn't have a goal. I had this sort of search process uh-huh. where I was slowly working toward what I ended up doing. In other words, they didn't know what the goal was until they got there. You could only figure it out going backwards. So, so for example, there was a, a wonderful woman I met 
named Jane Veron, who was a stay-at-home mom. Um, she was highly educated, quit the corporate workforce to raise her three daughters, stayed home for 12 years, really was had a lot of excess energy. She would have loved to have stayed in the workforce. It was impossible to, to handle everything. And so she, she threw all her energy into like a lot of local and community projects. And ultimately, after 12 years of, she says, feeling invisible because she's just, you know, some mom staying at home. <laughs> 12 years later, she said, I have all this knowledge that I've accumulated. She created a nonprofit in which she got a bunch of moms like herself who had a lot of business skills, who were staying at home to counsel and give advice to local businesses. Because at this point, she knew all the local businesses. She knew all the moms. And she created this nonprofit, which is now expanding nationwide. And uh, and then she she's now CEO of a nonprofit, growing nonprofit. And she became mayor of her town of Scarsdale. And she says, when she gives speeches now, she said, you know, when I talk about my career journey, going from stay-at-home mom to CEO and mayor, she said, it sounds as if I had all of these steps planned out and I tied it up with a bow. She says, but you know, when you're in the midst of it, you have no idea where it's going. You, you don't see that endpoint. And I found that for so many people who had these massive career reinventions. One of my favorites actually was yeah. a cattle farmer who I met. Uh, who I hung out with on his farm as he was like shooing the cows from one pasture to the other. It was this absolutely brutal, difficult, hands-on, dirty business. Um, and I spent a day with him. And uh, it turns out this cattle farmer, for the first 30 years of his career, was a Harvard-trained economist at J.P. Morgan. And he had just bought this farm as a, as a weekend house because it was like inexpensive, an inexpensive weekend house in the country. And uh, he said very, 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 he said it took 20 years for him to sort of get drawn in and realize that he really was into the farming element and he quit his job and is a full-time farmer. So there's all of these wonderful stories, but they're, they are completely at odds with the business advice that we have been hearing for decades. And I think that's really important because mm. it, to me, again, it brought out to me, it, it made me feel better and be a more optimistic about when you are in those periods of saying, wait, what am I doing? Where am I going? And you realize that actually those periods are very fruitful. It's just, it doesn't feel good, but there's a lot going on that's very, that's moving you forward. Yes, it is really powerful in that struggle stage. And something that resonates with what you're saying as well is I found in my life, just the mere showing up has allowed these opportunities that I didn't imagine. So at work, whether it's showing up to an event that you thought, I don't know if I need to be there or showing up in different places, I think that's what allows the stories that you're telling and you don't even know in the moment. Do you agree? Yes. A hundred percent. So so let me tell you a couple of the very key points that were co common to every kind of transition. Um, and one is the one that you just hit on. So there's a massive amount of research behind the power of weak ties and dormant ties. And, you know, weak ties are people who you know a little bit. Dormant ties are people you used to know who you've fallen out of touch with. 
And all of the research shows that if you're thinking of a new career, a new job, moving forward, that your weak ties and your dormant ties are going to be much, much more helpful than your close circle with whom you've probably already had all these discussions. You know the same things and the same people. And if you look at the research when executives who had a problem went to weak or dormant ties to discuss a solution, they came away with much, much better and more fruitful advice. LinkedIn has done research that shows that when people Mm. work with these weak or dormant ties, that they are much more likely to get new jobs. So that is number one. Number two, I'm going to give you two others that I think are really, really key, two other points. One is to talk to what I would call an expert companion. So I have a whole chapter on post-traumatic growth, which is people who have experienced terrible trauma. They do have post-traumatic stress. I mean, I have this wonderful woman who I absolutely love who um, was a machete attack victim in in Israel and and left for dead. And she's had all the trauma you can imagine coming out of that, but she also has created a nonprofit to help essentially the community of her attackers, like the children of her attackers. And I was like, how in the world do you do that? Well, one of the ways that you do that is psychologists will will tell you, that's called post-traumatic growth, right? As opposed to stress. And psychologists will say, what's really important is to have what they call an expert companion who can help you have a more uh, rational, objective view of what your skills are and strengths are and who you are. And, And I say, let's all have an expert companion. Very often, somebody who is not you can, can tell you, oh, you know what? You're really great at this, or you have a really strong interest in that. And it's something so internal to you, you don't even realize it. Great example of that is Danny Meyer, who is um, the restaurateur, most, one of the most famous, right? He started uh, Union Square Hospitality Group. Danny Meyer told me that he was on his way to law school and had dinner with his uncle. And his uncle said to him, why the heck are you going to law school? Every time I see you since you were a little boy, all you talk about is food. You ought to go into the restaurant business. And Danny Meyer said it was like, boom. Like, oh, he said, you know, I always love food. It never occurred to me that that was a job, like that I could be a restaurateur. And it changed his whole life. That's, that's an expert companion. Um, we all need one of those. Um, a third one, it's, it's, uh, there's a psychological term that, that um, some researchers coined called possible selves. And possible selves is imagining what your life could be or might be. And if you imagine possible selves, Mm -hmm. you are more likely to put that into action. And even more likely if you imagine possible selves, but you share that information with someone else. You write it down, you share it with somebody else, and it becomes more real and it helps you to kind of get to where you're going. So what stands out to me, I'm going to say this quickly because we're coming to the end, but accountability partners, expert companions, boy, I take that to heart as a leader of teams. There's so much opportunity there. And you really make it, you bring the heart to the struggle and give people hope from the stories. So. I love every single one of them. Before we conclude, what is your one takeaway 
if I had tons of leaders and entrepreneurs and people who are going through transition or want to transform and thinking about what's next, what's your one takeaway you want them to remember? You know, I, I really think people need to pay attention to sort of what are their interests, their hobbies, their side hustles. They really can take you to the next level. You know, I, I kind of think the, the, the phrase side hustle is almost a misnomer. It trivializes something that actually, it's something that's obviously, that's a passion for you, that's really important to you. And so don't give up on that. Think about where that might take you in the future. That's a great starting place for people who crave that reinvention. And sometimes people say to me, I don't know what my passion is. And I say, well, what do people come to you for? Right. Exactly. And that's likely it. Yes. If you could go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self based on what you know now, what would you tell younger Joanne? Uh, I would I would tell younger Joanne one word, and that is exhale. <laughs> like, just stop stressing so much. I, I later in life got um, really great advice that I would have given younger Joanne, which is if you're stressing about something today that doesn't matter five years from now, it doesn't matter today. Like, just like leave it alone and exhale. That is beautiful. Just exhale. Yeah. And breathe deep. <laughs> it yes. helps. It does. It does. Well, I know people who are going through transformation, businesses that are transforming or thinking about it have fear and they are in the search, the struggle and all the steps that you talked about. I know that it's going to help move people to be able to pivot with more peace. So thank you. And I'm going to add in the show notes your previous books, your new book, and ways to find you and your website. So thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.